I am uh, Joe Blog, just a member of the public. Actually, that's not entirely true. A person who decided that if I was going to make a change, I wasn't going to be told when and how to make that change. It was going to start with me. This is Georgia McTaggart. It actually takes the same amount of energy to do something about something than it does to not. Georgia is an efficiency analyst. So I work with data all day long. So I help companies to find more efficient ways to run their businesses and develop the relationships that they have within their business communities. Also, she cleans rivers. This podcast is brought to you by Jojo, a proud supporter of South Africa's water activists and a proud supplier of water solutions for a better quality of life. By protecting our most precious resource, Jojo's quality products help to safeguard the well-being of people, communities and the environment and the people working tirelessly to protect it. I'm Gugulet Mklungu, he's Sekwetlani Pamodi, and this is For Water for Life, the podcast series that tells the extraordinary stories of ordinary people who've made it their life's mission to preserve, purify, and protect the water supply where we live in South Africa. Today we're in Cape Town on the country's west coast, and Georgia is an efficiency analyst. And then in 2018, she starts a non profit organization called Help Up, which she funds herself at first. One of the things they do is cleanups of beaches, rivers, streets, but mostly rivers. In little more than a year, Help Up collects 35 tons of plastic waste from just one channel of the city's Black River. That's about 3,000 big rubbish bags packed full. There's just one goal, and that's to clean that river and have no trash lying around and to move that sewage away and get that river clean so that the birds can come back, which they do. They actually wait. (laughs) You know, you're kind of mixing up the soil and stuff to get the plastic out from underneath that piece of poo or whatever. And obviously you're dislodging those little worms and things. So the birds really love it when we clean up. They get a good dinner. Our story starts in 2018, when Georgia moves into the artsy and increasingly gentrified city neighbourhood of Observatory. She says that two things worried her about her new home, and that was the state of the Black River, which runs in a canal through the suburb. The other was the lack of care for the homeless and unemployed people in the area. So she sold her car to start doing cleanups, where unemployed locals, along with volunteers, could earn money to clean the rivers. So two birds with one stone. Help Up is a compassionate disruption initiative. So I didn't want to call it only an environmental cleaning group. I didn't want to call it a social work project and I didn't want to call it a jobs initiative either. I wanted to incorporate as many issues that I could see that were contributing to the problem. So how Help Up works is people pledge an avatar 
to work on a project. So, for example, we do a cleanup at the Black River and people would pledge through a crowdfunding platform towards the wages of a help-up avatar who is a volunteer but who has to be paid because they don't have the income to volunteer. Volunteers and avatars at Help Up range from 18 to 60-year-olds. I asked Georgia to describe an average Sunday cleanup. Okay, well, I wake up very early. <laughs> Make sandwiches and coffee and make sure that everything's packed up while our gear is in place and clean and that we have fresh water. Then we arrive at the site and, you know, we usually have a brief discussion about what we're going to do. So we take a look at the immediate biome and say, okay, well, look, we've got a lot of plastic packets over there stuck in the reeds or it looks like there's a lot of hyacinth weed that's trapped over there that's creating stagnation in the water. Look, don't walk that side. Stay away from that area today. We also make sure that we work at least in pairs so that someone doesn't just wander off. And, I mean, a couch could be just lodged further up the river and then come and bash into you or a piece of wood could come floating down and we have to consider safety. It's imperative in a river cleanup because you climb into these big boots and you wade into this river and at the Black River there's a lot of sludge, sewage sludge that's actually kind of filtered into the banks. So when the water rises then all of that sewage sludge becomes very, very soft. So it becomes a bit like quicksand. You can sink into it and fall into it, which you really don't want to do. You've got to get your river legs first, which is a bit different to getting your sea legs because obviously the river flows at a relatively constant speed. The Black River is one of the tributaries of the Salt River, which flows into Table Bay. The river rises in the city and flows underground beneath the railway line before continuing through the city bowl, through suburbs and townships, and canals before opening into a catchment area or drainage basin. Highways and bridges loop and zoom above the river as congested with cars as the river is with pollution. So gloving up, making sure that we've got masks and hats. I like the hats. They keep the splashes off. Then we do the cleanup. We tend to work in clusters. So we'll say, okay, we're going to work on this area first or we'll split the team in two and then we'll work towards one another. The lovely thing, of course, about rivers is they're river banks. So you can have two teams working on each bank and hauling the trash up onto two sites for collection. Yes, and then generally once we're in the water and we've sort of settled and we work extremely efficiently and that's something that's really amazed me is how hard everybody works. There's, despite the smell, despite the potential danger, despite the funny little worms um, that are able to live in oxygen-free water and that kind of thing, people get through it. They really step into it, which really impresses me and inspires me to get on with the next cleanup. That's a very big part of it. We've got an incredible team relationship going, which, which I'm very grateful for. Everybody engages very freely with one another, despite the fact that they might come from incredibly different social circumstances and backgrounds. Even in the muck of the Black River's catchment area, Cape Town's famous mountains loom majestically in the distance. Weaver's nests perched near the end of reeds sway in the breeze, plastic shopping bags twisting along with them. On the water, a nest of speckled eggs rests between two-litre empty cool drink bottles and a knot of invasive water hyacinth. Well, there is actually a Black River Rottenberg bird watching site. Flamingos, they come and visit. Then you have the Hartlop's gull, the African black duck, the Egyptian goose, 
there's the little stilt, which is a lovely bird with these long legs that they're just gorgeous and they pop along. And you also have different types of ibis that visit. And then, of course, the little birds. And sometimes you're standing cleaning in a river and a swallow will fly right past your nose <laughs> because we're in their biome. So everything on the side of the banks is the concrete and the traffic and the cars. But when you're in the water, you know, you're in nature, even if it's dirty water. There's a whole ecosystem that just goes on there regardless of what's going on. But what is going on? What's polluting the river so badly that it's starved of oxygen with horribly high E. coli counts? I think that the household waste, we can pretty much put two then formal settlements that straddle the N2, and the Black River runs along the N2 down towards the Salt River side. And then you also have stormwater outlets. So you have trash being dumped in the street. You have people emptying their cars, like just pick up all the trash and just throw it out their car window. And that obviously goes into the street, goes into the gutter, it goes into the stormwater drain, and then that flows into the river. And then you also have, obviously, you have the different sewage works that are all along the river as well. I can't tell you for sure how many there are. And basically in the 1950s, when all these things were being developed and infrastructure was being increased and scaled up, and you'll see this all over the world where sewage works are built along rivers and waterways because you need to flush the cleaned water away because more is coming to clean I don't know if you've ever seen one of those sewage farms where they have those massive tanks and then they're supposed to churn the waste and then that separates the water from the solid stuff and then that water is treated and once water is treated, it's then flushed back into the river. There are occasions when a pump might break. I asked Georgia what kinds of things they pull out of the water. Kitchen cabinets, bed posts, or the entire... We once found a double-bed headboard computer casings from those big old-fashioned big computer casings, TVs, radios, so many shoes, so many nappies, I think uh, my big bugbear, plastic packets, which is a real problem, PET bottles, those would be your cool drink bottles or clear ones, and then also grocery items from household use. We find sometimes that there's been dumping that's occurred, and then sometimes you find bottles of oil, motor oil, brake fluid, those types of things. It's such a motley crew of trash. They'll clear alien invasive species, build booms in the water to catch the litter and haul rubbish out. Over a ton in three hours. Thanks to Help App's relationship with the city's solid waste department, the bags are collected by trucks on the same day. The bulk of the cleanup is spent dealing with plastics. What we find is because of the different densities of plastic, they tend to collect close to one another somehow. They sort of, they kind of magnetize to one another somehow. So we'll find a huge clump of nappies uh, all floating in the same sort of area where the current has kind of moved them. And also they'll just sit below the surface of the water. They don't bob at the top. So they're below the surface of the water. And then a new level of trash appears below and comes up under that. Big builders sheets, a lot of builders rubble and, you know, builders dumping goes into the rivers. So the tiny microplastics, so what we do is we have sieves and we pick up the biggest pieces of plastic and then we start sieving the water, almost like we're panning for gold. And that's how we pick up these little plastic noodles, which either the broken down plastic, so a bigger piece of plastic has started degrading and forms these tiny little colourful bits of plastic which float on the surface of the water. 
Water companies don't sell water, they sell bottles. Ayaka Melitafa, a young activist also from Cape Town, from the African Climate Alliance, she and Georgia see their roles in fighting pollution as two different parts to a whole. So instead of you buying more water bottles and creating more waste, because that's literally what water companies do, water bottle companies do, they don't sell water, they sell plastic bottles because water is something that you already have. They're just producing more waste, essentially. They're just producing more waste of plastic. So by you having your one sustainable water bottle, you can just fill it up at your tabs or you can go and just have water in your bottle. Our counterparts in the global south, meaning more privileged people, don't face the same thing as urban poor living in underdeveloped settlements. So we can't expect the same outcomes from both these areas. So, for instance, in Langa, where the taps are very close to the Yakutsle Canal that runs into the Black River. So what will happen is you've got your fresh water tap and then people will come throw their trash next to that without really realising the impact of that on the health of their family. And even now, if we clean up the area, there would still be more waste there because there's a lack of governmental resources that come to pick up the trash. People that come and check the drains are blocked or not. They are already facing that struggle. So going to go clean up a beach is something that's a foreign concept to them. And we can't blame them because they're already facing many other socioeconomic issues, be it xenophobia, gangsterism in the community, be it gender-based violence, poverty. Even alcohol abuse plays a major role in these things. We want to start something called Adoptive Tap, where a company could pay a monthly fee and basically adopt a tap area, and then we would ensure that that tap is kept in good condition, that recycling bins are put in place, that we start planting gardens and things like that around it, so we actually start to sort of create a functional space around fresh water in order to engage on behavior going forward. By creating sort of an adopted tap type of program, you're then creating stewardship inside that area. And to serve is a privilege. And that's, that's how I view it. And for the Help Up crew, working in the water has another reward. It's not even about the condition of the water. We are, what, 63% water. And I kind of feel when I'm in there, I feel it's an incredible sense of flow. I have amazing ideas. I'm full of laughter, I'm a real bubbling brook in there. Water, it has these healing aspects and it's really special to be in that water. Obviously, I and mean, then when you leave, it's looking so lovely and everything, but that's from the surface. The actual, you know, the movement of water, you know, if you think you can get quite philosophical about it and you can go, wow, you know, this water's been around since the beginning of water. It's all the same water. It just keeps being renewed in different ways and used in different ways. And, and that's magic. You know, to me, it's just, it's, it's a very special experience. Some of the avatars have referred to it as their healing time. We've come to the end of Georgia's story, but actually, it's just the beginning. Help Up has started creating franchise cleanup operations. There's one in Gualanga, and they're developing an app that other people can use to do cleanups in their own neighborhoods. And then, of course, a big one, which is what I really want to do, which is to have depots in all the economically depressed areas of our city where people can actually take their trash and be paid for it. So you would basically take your bags of trash or your recycling or whatever to a depot and you would be paid for all that waste, whether it was on a voucher card 
which you could go and then spend wherever you wanted, or if it was, you know, through money coming off your city council bill or whatever. And when waste has value, it stops being waste. It starts being valuable. I've looked at it. I haven't run the numbers, but my instincts tell me that this is the way to go. And if there were a couple of depots and and the trucks could literally just come through during that day, recycling companies could come collect the, the recyclable. Uh, it would just be such a beautiful system of flow. We've got a massive problem, and it must cost tens, hundreds of millions of rands to clean up all these river systems. And I'm sure that it wouldn't cost any more to have a depot system in place. And you would have pristine rivers. So for Georgia, the efficiency analyst from Cape Town, it's about finding scalable solutions to issues that are often hampered by politics and inequality. Pretty amazing work. Which actually makes me think of public artist Haneli Kutsia. She also works with Rivers in South Africa's largest city, Cherbourg, which we'll be visiting later in the series. Her project, Water for the Future, has a unique proposal to dealing with invasive plants. So there's a lot of very thirsty plants that need to be taken out, like bugweeds and all sorts of things that's really taking over. One of the things is a lot of litter ends up in the river because it's taken away by the water. So instead of putting up a huge fence that prevents people from seeing, our plan is to take some of the alien invasive twigs and so on that's quite elastic and actually weave a temporary fence with the community, which creates a wonderful opportunity for conversation. Hanali is full of ideas about how art and community can help heal the water. But that's a story for another episode. I'm Sigwetlane Pamudi. This is For Water for Life. And I'm Gugule Tumklungo. All of our podcasts are available at jojo.co.za. The series was made possible by Jojo for water for life find us on social media at for water for life and share your water stories using the hashtag listen to the water because if you do it can change your life from the jojo family to yours we hope you enjoyed today's episode of for water for life whether you're looking for top quality storage tanks water filters or other water solutions jojo has the product ideal for you Discover our range at jojo.co.za and find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram for all the latest product news and water-related content.